Welcome to our podcast. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back. It's my uh, privilege to have Carson Block. First time, Carson, that we've ever had a, a discussion here on the Livewire, so, so thanks for making some time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm trying to make short selling great again, but uh, you know, like we said in, you know, just before we went live, it's 2020, right? And uh, I've been short selling for 20 years, so I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm considered an evil doer or anything like that. I, I do think that it's something that is, is just generally misunderstood. You know, in particular, I don't like being lied to by people or taken advantage of that maybe that's just me or the Gen X thing. You and I are about the same age, so maybe, I don't know, you got to be a little cantankerous. I mean, what is, what is it about short selling that you love or think you know, has an absolute part uh, to play in this game? Sure. Well, I want to first differentiate what we do from the traditional way of short selling, where you short something... You know, try to get media interested in it if there's a salacious element such as management lying um, and you but you otherwise you're quiet I started this really by accident I did not know there was such a thing as uh, activist short selling I mean it was actually there were probably only two or three people doing this at the time um, 10 years ago when I started but mm-hmm. I would say that I'm doing this because I've always had a personality where I have a problem with authority. Um, I was, I mean, I was getting suspended frequently starting in elementary school. So I've always had a problem with authority and usually that's been to my detriment. But when I came across, and and so the first part of my investing career, I was a long oriented investor. I wanted to believe management. And I got lied to several times. And this was happening in the the late 90s, early 2000s. And I was not involved in internet stocks. I was working with my father. We were covering US-centric micro caps. And yeah, we were being used and lied to um, not infrequently. And at the same time, the largest companies in the world were blowing up in their own fraud and lying and deception scandals. So that in 2002 pushed me out of the market. Um, I said I wanted to be an investor, but I really need to understand how to better protect myself. So I went to law school, um, figured I'd go right back into the markets after I graduated law school, but I actually liked law school a lot more than I thought I would. So went to China, was a lawyer, started the first self-storage business in mainland China, was getting my ass kicked. I mean, I was... (laughs) you know, just basic, constantly on the verge of being destroyed. Um, When my father got really interested in these Chinese companies that had listed in the U.S. via reverse merger. And I I didn't really care, but uh, because I I had my own problems, but he really wanted me to help him diligence these companies. And he sent me uh, on this first on this first one called Orient Paper. And um, prior to that, I mean, I had assumed that the issue would be the chairman is stealing too much money out of the company, right? Like I told my father, we're going to have to make a judgment call. You know, what's what's a reasonable amount of money to steal? What's too much? <laughs> but I was shocked because the company was actually a complete fraud. I mean, yeah. I it had just reported $103 million in revenue. 
real revenue was two and a half to three million dollars. So I didn't know what to do, but my father did not want to short. Um, I basically had no capital left. And so as a side project, I put together this report exposing it as a fraud. And I didn't, I don't really know why I was doing it. Um, you know, when I looked back on it, I, I, I looked at it and said, well, that's the power in feeling like you have nothing to lose. Like I had a, a shit business in China. You know, if they took that away from me, it, it would have been like the best thing ever. Um, so I just threw the ball as far down the field as I could. And, you know, and it connected for a touchdown, basically. So, you know, what then happened immediately afterward, I learned that this was systemic with Chinese companies. But, uh, you know, what really what I what really excited me was like, wow, like I, I can mouth off to people who are, you know, much higher in status and position than me and not only not get crushed for it or the adult equivalent of getting suspended, but actually get remunerated for it. So suddenly I have a profession where I can fuck with people and actually make money. So that's basically why I do it and why I still do it. So uh, uh, sorry, there's no clean nutshell there, but it, it really is an expression of of my personality. Well, I, I don't. I don't think there's anything to to clean up on that. It's just the truth. I mean, uh, the, and and you know, Neil Howe, who's our demog- you know, chief demographer here, he he coined the term millennials. He he always talks about like us as a generation this way. Like we're just like we hate authority, and we're just like we've at the highest level. I mean, the stock market's crashed three times in my in my market life. I mean, no shit, I'm on the watch for bullshit. Um, so you know, whether it's you know trying to get my team to to uncover in some cases we have found fronts, right? I mean, we found Lynn Energy. It was a donut, like as you call it. That's By the way, it's one of the greatest handles on Twitter, you know, the, the, the donuts handle. Because we used to, when I started, um, Leon Cooperman owned it. It was like not only his number one hedge fund holding, but it was his number one personal holding, which made him like a, a page one holder as a person. So there's like a lot of glory in that too, right? Where you have um, how about that part of it? Because because it's not just authority to me. Like you know, it's actually the you know the received wisdom or the smartest money managers in the world factor. Leon's a great example, you know. And, and I don't I don't apologize for saying that I think he's full of shit on that. I mean, he was he was wrong, you know. And you know, is there that part too? Well, I mean, it's really funny when you do what we do and you just see the dysfunction of how. I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars are allocated. And so a good example is uh, a company that we went uh, we went short several years ago um, that actually kind of imploded before we went public on it. It was called Blinks PLC. And um, the financials were real, but it was defrauding its customers. It was listed in, uh, um, in the UK on mm-hmm. AIM. And it was funny because we... So the, the top holders were, um, you know, Fidelity and another large long only. And we reached out to them before before the stock collapsed. And we said, like, hey, you know, if you guys, I mean, there are indicia here. There are articles in Ad Age about uh, this company probably defrauding its its customers. I mean, what do you think? And they said, well, you know, Goldman has a conviction buy on it. So you know, we, we think they would have diligenced it. So then we actually managed to, through an intermediary, talk to the Goldman analyst, 
And the Goldman analysts said, yeah, like I, I know Fido's number one in this and so-and-so is number two. So I assume they've done due diligence on this or they wouldn't be, you know, the number one and two shareholders. So <laughs> I'm okay with the conviction buy. And you're just like, you know, Are you this is just it? totally fucked up and totally <laughs> circular. But that's how, like, that's how the world really works. Yeah, so what is it like? Like uh, now, I want to get kind of into your process to the extent that you want to share because you can. I'm assuming that, like us, we get a lot of you know potential frauds. Now we got SPACs. We got a lot of stuff that's being pushed our way because the minute that we blow on it or slap a sell on it, which is you know we have we don't have ratings. We just say sell the fucking thing. I mean, it's like it's going to go to zero. That's a pretty straightforward call. Do you understand it? Um, you know what is it? Like about your process, like how do you fun? What is your funnel? How do you how do you come up with ideas? Right, I, it's a combination of internally generated, and we're not running screens to come up with internally generated ideas. I mean, a lot of times it's just really sitting back and looking at what's hot, you know, what's what's priced for perfection, and therefore, and also what seems too good to be true, right? And scratching the surface. Um, and a lot of the scratching the surface, I mean, we're really looking for, I'd say as much as anything, behavioral cues. And so initial steps could be reading transcripts from recent uh, earnings calls and presentations. And if management seems to be really promotional, um, and then if, especially if they're avoiding, they seem to be evading questions, then that's, that's something that'll cause us to dig in deeper. Um, sometimes it starts with the with anomalies in the accounts that we notice, but um, the accounting analysis really takes a lot of time. So it's actually easier for us to look for the behavioral cues towards the top of the towards the top yep. of the funnel. Now we also get, for lack of a better word, we get pitched ideas by funds that are already short. Exactly. And you know it's it's interesting because you know, I mean our business model is such that. You know, we bring most to all of our team to work together on a given company by the time we publish it. And, you know, in that in that allows us to go in, you know, far greater depth than pretty much anybody else has gone. So we do a lot of times find issues with the the theses that we've been pitched. I mean, a lot of times they'll be directionally correct, but, you know, they thought this was a problem and it's not, but they missed this problem. So you know, but I, I would say that for our process, it takes us maybe three weeks to get conviction that, okay, XYZ is a good short. But that level of conviction is equal to what I think people would get, the, the level of conviction needed if you were at a long short fund and you've got reasonably skeptical people. But the trick for us is we have to be able to bring this case public we are trying to communicate with the long holders. We're trying to convince them yeah. that they've overlooked things. And that is really where the bulk of the work takes place. So I would say our average cycle time um, to work through an idea, and, and there's a lot of variance here, but two to three months. Huh. Um, so only about three weeks to get conviction, and then the rest is building the case you know, I, I call it uh, market-based prosecution, usually when we go public with this. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I actually talk a lot about what is, what, is, what is our cycle time on the research team. Like, I got 40 different people, right? But we have these sector heads, and it's like, how long does it take you to produce, 
like what we call them black books, but a, an actual presentation, like a deep dive into what is right or wrong about this company, fully vetted. That could, you know, getting the idea right around inside of a month, but it can take, you know, really three to six weeks of, of workflow to produce it in a way that you can actually, you know, like I don't want to do it unless we can put it out there fully. The whole bloody thing, including the model, and I think that that should be the standard. Like this, the bullshit short selling that I see, no wonder we have a bad reputation. Like we don't really, there's not a real high bar in terms of how people have communicated their short selling process. I got Chanos coming on tomorrow. I don't think that he has a low bar. You certainly don't have a low bar. But the, the rest of these clowns, I mean, on Twitter that are like just pushing narratives around, I mean, it's garbage. Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's, there's a range, right? Um, I mean, in the U.S., it's pretty funny because it's, Activist short selling is so common now. And so you have all these guys who are basically screaming at the top of their lungs, metaphorically, <laughs> on Seeking Alpha and Twitter, you know, this is the worst company ever. And yeah, I mean, that they, they don't they don't have, you know, they're not given credence. So I think that they're, you know, there's a clear tier of activist short sellers who are taken seriously by the market. Um, and that's. Yeah, and, and largely the market ignores, I think, the rest of the guys. Now, now, what do you think? And and it's actually, you know, for somebody who's an amateur short seller, but you know, has got a brain. Yeah, that's kind of how we both got into it, right? It's not like you're. It's something you're taught how to do. We both came to be. Like I came, I was a long short hedge fund, and I started in the year two thousand, and shit was hitting the fan, and I had to keep my job. I had to be short stuff. You know, so that's why I have that. You know, we're all, you know, in 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 life, we're obviously products of our own experience. Um, but again, you know, it's a survival game, short selling in a lot of different ways. Uh, yeah, you watch it today, and somebody could be like somebody could be Carson Block of of eleven, twelve years ago, and immediately have read and watched you know Nikola's management team or whatever the hell it's called, and said, uh, "This doesn't really smell right." Like you don't have to. Do you have to be you or I to actually come up with these ideas? No, and I mean, you know, the, the thing that made Nicola difficult and is really impressive about the work that was published um, by Hindenburg is Bloomberg had already published about Nicola and some some in issues with the demonstration. So, I mean, to be totally honest, we we looked at Nicola after the Bloomberg article post. Uh, or sorry, after the Bloomberg article, but before Hindenburg published on it, and we took a pass because we thought, ah, there's no new news here, you know, and right. and shame on us. We we blew that one. <laughs> I but, said, um, that one's yeah, nuts. Mean, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so, I mean, you, you know, it's, I think it's a lot harder. It is a lot harder to break through and get noticed in the U.S. these days. I mean, if you were shorting uh, stock in Europe, um, where especially in continental Europe, I mean, they're, they're, they're prob- some people would probably want to impose the death penalty uh, for activist short selling. Um, you can break through in continental Europe, but they will also just steamroll you and run you through a process. And if you, you know, if you have the slightest error, I mean, they will go after you in continental Europe. So, uh, but that's an easier place to break in. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the I like the dynamics of that. I like to be held to the highest standard. You know, you learn a lot more by presenting the idea 
uh, or at least we do. I'm sure this is the case with you as well. I mean, I want the feedback. I know that we're not going to get it perfect, and there's a whole legion of questions that you know can still be answered uh, with a short idea after that. But isn't it like back to this point on, on Nicola or Nicola or whatever? I mean, it's like this is something I'm struggling with right now, which is there's a new community of, of what we would call 15 to 20 percent of the daily volume is is at least uninformed um, or at least inexperienced, one or the other. We can call it whatever it is. Um, has that like made fraud in plain sight unshortable and in, in <laughs> like you said it was in a freaking bloomberg article it was in a hedge eye presentation it's not like the i mean the thing kind of went down sometimes when we talked about it but it didn't really implode like it it did when it was finally you know slapped the fun cops you know kind of enforcement on them is it is there something about this moment in time particularly with spacs and and all the speculation yeah, there's there's a lot to it, and and I'm honestly trying to figure it out. I mean, it's this has been by far the toughest year of my career. Um, now, outside the U.S., particularly in Europe, I I think it's it's much easier to you know to to get investors to care. But I think right now in the U.S., it's this bizarre euphoria in the markets. Um, but I mean, like, uh, to be completely honest, and this is so bizarre to say, but a uh, few days ago, I, we were having an internal conversation um, about a company. It's a U.S. listed Chinese company, and it's it's a substantial fraud. And, you know, we're asking, should we go long and expose it as a fraud? Like, normally our reports start out by saying, and this is because we're required to disclose our position. Muddy Waters is short XYZ because it is a near total fraud, if, if it's near total fraud. Like, should we start it up? Muddy Waters is long XYZ because it's a near total fraud. This company has been a fraud since inception, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it. you know, like we're having this serious conversation yeah. because it seems like right now, especially with these high beta names and these, you know, and, and which most of the frauds would fall into that category, um, you get this chart where it's going to go down initially day one, but then it just, you know, algos come in and day traders, and so it's it's a really strange and frustrating situation. But if you, you know, if you look at um, some of the names we've been short this year uh, publicly, GSX, that's a Chinese company. Um, I mean, it's a company. I mean, the thing is, like, seriously, almost a complete fraud. And the market cap's like 30 billion now. I mean, we publicly shorted this at 35. So, you know, north of 110 right now. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's amazing. Like, nobody cares. Um, another one called Nanix, which is not Chinese. It's Israeli, recently listed. It's, it's a complete promotion. Um, there's nothing there. And, yeah, it did that. So... It's really strange. I mean, it's, you know, and I, I was talking about this with, with Jim um, Chanos as well. Just right now, does it matter if something's a fraud? And in the U.S., it seems like it doesn't. So why did it matter with Nikola? I, I'm still trying to figure that one out, um, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a very strange, it's a very surreal environment. Um, you know, wrongdoers are not being punished at this point.
Yeah, there's only one other period, at least in my career, where this would have existed. And you didn't have to be a fraud. You could be just be completely full of shit. Like your company, it's not a business model, but it was a stock, you know. Uh, it doesn't mean, like, they, they, they believed what they believed. They weren't, like, willingly telling you what they didn't believe. It was just that what they believed was still a zero anyway. Um, and that, you know, I think that that's endemic to a bubble, is that, um, and a lot of people try to refute this you know, bubble with, well, it's not the same valuations as 1999, 2000. It's like, give me a break. I mean, frauds and bubbles can exist in bull and bear markets. It's not like you have to have, but, but, but to survive as a short seller, you have to acknowledge that you're in a bubble. I mean, that's the only way that you know, Carson Block's going to say, I'm going to put out a, a you know, get long one of my, a fraud is, is just a, that acknowledgement. And it's a reasonable acknowledgement, right? I mean, it's a, it's a survivor. You know, it's, a, it's a game that you need to survive to stay. If, if you want to be in the game, you've you got to survive. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying that we would actually do it. <laughs> but it's you know it, it's a sign of the times that this was a serious this was a serious conversation. I mean, we want to take the company down, but you know, recognizing the reality that the more you expose it as a fraud, I mean, inv- so investor behavior. I mean, it's you know, I, I completely agree with you that this is reminiscent of ninety nine two thousand in terms of investor behavior. I mean, yes, there are differences, but I mean, just when you see. You know, and look, a lot of this is obviously being driven by people working from home, being bored, um, having some excess liquidity. So, um, you know, should the cure or vaccine be found tomorrow and we all return to the office, I think that'll do a lot to deflate the bubble. I mean, assuming, you know, companies are going to want their workers to actually be working on work. Um, but, yeah, I mean, right now it really reminds me of, of the late 90s. I mean, uh, I'm looking at this um this I just pulled it up right now. This Nano X, I have no idea. Obviously, you do, but you know, where did you come into that one? Well, that one was. This has also been, a, you know, to say twenty twenty is a strange year is just a perpetual understatement. But one of the other factors that's been at play for us this year is, um, you know, we're another firm that does what we do at Citron Research. Andrew yep. left and. I mean, we're, we're competitors and Andrew was out there before we were on GSX. And I mean, we've been working on it for a couple months when he published and Nanox, we've been working on it for a while when he published as well. So, you know, maybe those dynamics impacted what was going to happen following our releases. But I mean, we were, you know, I think we came public on Nanox a few days after Andrew did. So the stock had already come down quite a bit. Uh, we came public on Nanox, I want to say at about 30. And at one point it's down like 22%, you know, and then I go back to my work. I see it's only down 7% and it closed up like two or 3% on the day. It was, you know, I'm just like, you know, after the mark, after the close, I, we're just stunned uh, that this was the result. Well, sometimes, I mean, uh, I'm not going to, obviously I don't lie anyway, but I wouldn't lie to you in saying that I don't, uh, I'm not quite sure sometimes, because I give actually real-time alerts short signals, you know, in, in, I don't know if you've ever seen them or not. And during like March and April, it was like, I just hit a button, the thing would, you know, just go, you know, the right way. And it would stay the right way. Mm-hmm. And on any bounce, it would go back to the right way, back to the downside. And I liked it. You know, it was kind of fun. You know, when the VIX is at frickin' 80, uh, obviously there's nobody on the other side. But, but now... 
it's almost like, you know, I could guess who they are, but, you know, people, as soon as they see, you know, me lay out, I've just laid out these three different tech shorts, it's like, there's like literally in the last three minutes of the day, there's a bit on these three stocks. And what the fuck, what is going on here? Like, it's like literally, you know, they want us to go away. They, they need us to go away. Uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm being a conspiracy theorist. It's a volumetric uh, you know, observation of what happens at a certain time of day in some of my shorts. It doesn't always happen, but it has happened. And, and I wonder, like, what, what is that? Is that a little algo? Is that like, you know, is that a hater? Is that a troll? I mean, what is that? <laughs> well, I mean, with, with GSX anyway, the Chinese fraud, I mean, I, I, I think that one goes a lot deeper. And yeah, it's, it's funny because you'd see um, it gets, you know, it, it'll have these gaps up during the middle of the day. And then so many times after hours during the period when it was really running, you see these after hours prints, 50 shares, 100 shares. And then all of a sudden, like $75 million worth of stock prints, you know, and then 100 shares, 100 shares, 25 million of stock. So these are bot guys. I mean, that's the that's the whole thing with GSX. It's supposed to be online education, but almost every single user is not a real person. And so... You know, I'm wondering, I mean, how, you know, how difficult would it be for these guys to set up or people, you know, associated with them to set up various trading accounts? And, you know, in the old days, you know, you used to just paint the tape, um, you know, with within the small circle. You can do it today, too, I think. And, you know, when we see these shares transacting after markets, after marketing these huge prints, really chunky prints, like, I wonder if that's just kind of reloading for the next day. So I look, I don't know. I mean, there was also there were also technical factors. There was a squeeze. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, there was, it wasn't an enormous float on the company. Um, and then there were there and you've got these massive swap positions that are sitting, you know, that large banks are protecting the identities of their clients. I mean, I have an idea of who the clients are. And, you know, I think that they they, they just intended to squeeze the stock. I don't think these guys are manipulating it, but I do suspect there are other people manipulating it. And, you know, in these large funds that have, you know, are behind these swap positions, they probably anticipated that somebody was going to be manipulating it too. Yeah. You know, there's a, yeah, the, like you said, there's a circular nature uh, to a lot of things. And, you know, you can, this goes to the highest level. I mean, it's not like at two and three in the morning, people don't see chunky prints in, in spoos. I mean, it's not, like, it's literally, you go to bed, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, sometimes I wake up and watch it a little bit in the, initially just to pay time. I'm like, is that really happening? You know, does the ESF really exist with $500 billion? And more importantly, do people just need to believe it exists and see those first couple chunky orders at a certain hour and have other people just ride it, you know? Um, so we just need to survive, okay? So let's, I think we, we agree on that. Um, you know, to survive, maybe one strategy, and I want to just kind of get into how you construct it, uh, I think in a couple different interviews, you've talked about your, you know, the cash position that you keep. You know, you can't be, you know, people that are amateurs at short selling, they think it's all in or out and they're just, you know, they get their face ripped off. That's why they hate short selling. They have no risk management tools whatsoever. But if I were to only take Carson Block's shorts and put them on when the VIX goes through 30, like I think, I'm just looking at GSX and, um, uh, and NOX, that would have worked. Right? Is there a volatility regime that makes your book, you know, the book that you shouldn't have 60% cash, that's when you should just go? Should we just think about it in terms of volatility regimes? Uh, because what, that kind of eradicates all the, all the trickery and deceit that's going around behind the scenes when the VIX is in a place where anybody can make money on the long side. 
Well, so in the, in the prior nine years, I mean, we've gone through some markets where there was record low vol, um, some markets where it ticked up a little bit. I mean, and we, the activist short selling strategy, you know, had consistently made very good you know, outsized returns. I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, really high sharp ratio. Yeah. This year, it, this year is different. I mean, there, there are some, there's some real, you know, there are some major differences here, but um, yeah, it's one of those times when, I mean, we hedge, you know, we hedge almost everything with factors and, but those factors are not capturing what's happening with our shorts. So um, there's a lot of idiosyncratic movement in these shorts right now. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's obviously partly dependent on volatility, but there are other dynamics that are driving this volatility that are different as far as we're concerned from prior vol dynamics. Yep. I, I, I hear what you're saying on that. That's, um, I mean, it's, it's, the answer is always going to be that it changes depending on what kind of market regime you're in. But I mean, the bubbliness of it all certainly makes this one as dynamic as it, it's arguably ever been. Um, let's go to some, uh, if you don't mind, I'm gonna get some questions. Because a lot of these questions, like people, um, the first one, I like it quite a bit, uh, Vlad from Frankfurt. It might be not Vlad, just by the way. Because um, his, his question is like, when was the last time short, shorting stocks actually generated alpha? That's like in, in the 2000s, like, like he's kind of, I think he's insinuating um, that maybe this is a little dinosaur, what we're doing here. But, um, you know, what about that? You know, like short selling doesn't work. I can tell you right now, I, I mean, I have every single short position I've taken at, at Hedgeye. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of them since, they're all time stamps since 2008. And my batting average is over 70% of them. It's been working for a long period of time for me, more than it's not been working. Um, and, you know, I wonder if you have a different answer to that. Yeah, and honestly, that question might be better for for Jim tomorrow. I mean, yeah. I, I do recall Jim saying at least a few years ago that it used to be you could generate thirty percent on the short side of alpha, and now it's down to fifteen. And that was a few few years ago. So I don't know if it's down further than that, as far as he's concerned. I mean, short activism has all you know. I mean, has always generated positive alpha since I've been in the game and looking at it. I mean, it depends on who's short activism. Um, you know, if you go back earlier conversation, I mean, guys who are just screaming on Twitter about microcaps, I don't know about them, but um, short activism has always been um, a generator of significant positive alpha from what I can tell. Um, and again, this, I mean, this year for our book, I mean, our, our book is not diversified. And so if you look at a couple of, you know, just a couple of these positions, um, I mean, we've been out publicly on on the following uh, this year. Luckin, which was not our research, but we took a short, we published it. That basically went to zero. So a lot of alpha there. Um, <laughs> second one we did was eHealth. And that has generated a lot of alpha and absolute return too. And we published that at the beginning of April. And um, that's gone down quite a bit while NASDAQ is ripped. Um, GSX, massive negative alpha. Um, Nanox, uh, fairly recent, but um, yeah, I'd say, yeah, it's negative, negative alpha there. I mean, it's, you know, I guess you measure it against the, uh, the NASDAQ. Um, and then we, we, we did some tweeting activism or Twitter activism um, regarding a biotech promotion called Inovio, which is basically flat. Um, so, 
positive alpha, I guess, just by virtue of being flat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you can't buy a house without alpha. So um, that to us is a meaningless metric. Have you, have you tried to, to, instead of using factor exposures on, you know, to, hedge your, to, to hedge your positions, going bigger on that? Like a lot of, the, the biggest net consensus position guys showed in futures and options contracts is short cues. Uh, that's because every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's not only trying to, you know, this is generally what this is, is people are trying to hedge their, their gross exposure to five stocks or the NASDAQ. On the long side, they think they're hedged because they short cues against it. Um, you know, for me, that that's not how I do it. I just I, I'm just a naked short seller. So, um, you know, what do you think about that in terms of factor exposures and things that you might you might start to think about differently? Well, I mean, our our mandate is not to be net long. Um, I mean, Jim Jim is running net long, um, and you know, but that that's not that's not what we do. And again, that look, I get that. You know that there are strategies that once worked and you know will not work for the foreseeable future. Maybe this is delusion, but I am I'm of the opinion that what's going on right now with short activism is a little transitory period where it's it's very tough in the U.S. I think out, I think non-U.S. markets will generate significant alpha, um, and you know I think it's. At some point, we're going to get a you know some air let out of this bubble here. So I'm not ready to say, hey, we need to you know we need to change this around and run net long. I think running market neutral um, in a short activist strategy should produce significant returns. I mean that's my uh, I'm I'm obviously talking my book, but at this point in time, I still am of that belief. Mm-hmm. I mean, I run net short plenty of times in bull markets, and it works. It's fine. It's just when you go net short that matters. I'm talking about like more people that have a far less concentrated book than you, because I'm running 35, 40 positions in in my my personal book, and it's it's no problem. It's it's when you go short that matters. I mean, if you went net short at the end of August, you absolutely mercy crushed the crowd. I mean, there's tremendous alpha there, not even being right on your bloody shorts. You're just right on the market. So you know that's another big thing here, Carson. You're wearing. Yeah, you're wearing a bubble on the other side of your book. I mean, if you're going to just you're running net short and you're still finding alpha, that's that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, again, like for us, you know, this year, I mean, I look, I, you know, I'd, I'd say we have so far not generated positive alpha. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, you know, if you look at position by position basis, as I did, it varies. But um, yeah, I mean, in general, I, we, you know, this this has worked through. Um, you know, coming out of you know 2010, there was still a lot of risk aversion, and every year that's gone, that's you know ticked by since. I think there's less and less risk aversion, and by the time COVID came around, I was fond of saying that investors had really become anesthetized to risk. Now, when I was sitting in pitch meetings a year ago, um, and people are asking, well, you know, what markets, you know, do you think this works in, or don't you think this worked in? I said. I think we've got an excellent strategy for almost all markets, except immediately post something like the financial crisis um, or in a market that's significantly more frothy than we're in right now. And of course, I said, you know, famous last words, but I don't see that coming anytime soon. Do you? And um, here we are in that market. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that that'll sustain that long. But as I said, we have to adapt. We have to go to markets that are that are less frothy than the U.S. is, and 
you know, net net. If that means we're we're still going to get kicked in the balls for a little while, I mean, that's life. You know, it's we've had ten years of putting up good numbers, so you know, we're well, look, we're still positive on the year, so it's mm-hmm. not it's not a total disaster. No, I mean the disasters we know what those are. I mean that's the Lynn Energy story, or or Bill Ackman, activist on J.C. Penney at forty bucks. I mean that was the disaster of disasters. I mean, I prefer like if you get kicked in the nuts. I mean, kick them back. You know, like that's a you know that's another strategy, right? Don't just sit there and take it. I mean, there are guys out there that are pushing longs. Yeah, I think they're some of them are worse in his case, um, and I have no apologies to Bill on this. I think some of them are way worse than anything you've ever been accused of doing, or Jim Chanos, or any of my analysts for that matter, pushing the long side of, of garbage. You know, in the case of Valiant and uh, J.C. Penney, to name a few, against, you know, against Bill Ackman, you know, what do you think about that on the activism side the other way? Because we've seen a lot of problems. You know, some of them have just basically said, look, I just want to be a long-only fund. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've been talking for a couple of years about how I think society is suffering as a result of the amorality of investing. And I think a lot of the a lot of the bad shit that happens in society, like opioid overdoses, you know, see Malincrot's bankruptcy a few days ago. Um, the lifeblood of a lot of these things is the capital markets. And at the end of the day, I mean, we as capital markets participants, most of us are accustomed to viewing things in a moral way. If I think it's going to go up, I'll go long. If I think it's going to, if I think it's going to drop, then I'll sell it. And this has this has increasingly, I think, has consequences, especially with more leverage in the system, um, because it really skews incentives for bad behavior. Now, when you look at the guys who are long, say GSX, so GSX is a near total fraud, but you know these guys, you know, they're long it because they think it's going to squeeze. And they look at it and I'm sure they say, hey, you know, if I think it's going to go up, why shouldn't I do this to make money? My response is you are there are companies out there that are not frauds, that are not fucked up and are being starved of capital Mm -hmm. because capital is being allocated to company to pieces of shit like this. So if you want to step back and really think about the medium to long term health of the capital markets, and since all of us are participants in that, maybe we should start thinking a little bit longer term and investing in ways that are going to encourage healthy development of it. But, you know, I, I kind of get the whole throwing in the towel element of it, which is like, look, man, I can't change it. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to basically go with the flow. And when everybody thinks that way, you know, the flow is going in the wrong direction. Mm hmm. Well, I, I, I think, I mean, you talk about the moral code associated with it. I just, I just don't believe in pump and dump. I mean, on the long side, I think, it's, I think that is disgusting. You are pumping and dumping. You willingly know exactly what you're doing, and you are not talking about any of the risks associated with that. So, you know, and then you get, like, kind of the, you, you put the caboose on the back of it, CNBC with Ackman, they'll give him a full 30 minutes on these things. You know, yeah, he's got some right. You know, a certified, like, he's not like a, I was going to use the word certified monkey, not call him that. You have to be very intelligent to do what he does. He is brilliant, far smarter than I'll ever be, you know, on paper. But the reality is that your batting average, if all you're doing is pumping, is going to be something, hopefully, better than 60%. You know, but how do you have, like, epic strikeouts 
on, on names that, like, Valiant is, is disgusting. I think that, that that's a great example of disgusting. There, there's no moral code to that. Right. Well, I think, you know, here, here's one of the things. I, I, I have gone and moralized at times about, about stocks and, <laughs> and about markets. I mean, at times. That's the first but, time I did, by the um, way, in a while. So thanks for listening to me. <laughs> Feels good. Yeah, it felt good. Got it most off people, my. Most people are most people are sitting there doing this to us. Yeah. Right? But, uh, I mean, that's the reality, right? It's so um, true. But um, but you know the, the the things you have to be consistent. Okay, I am not ever going to go long a predatory shitbag company like Valiant. All right, so you you know you lose you lose the perception of moral authority, or you lose moral authority. If you know, if you're willing to do that, so um, I mean, my business is a lot smaller than it could be. I'm sure if I'd been a lot more commercial about things and really looked to you know use our brand and, and push hard, and you know, I think we'd be managing a lot more money. But I'm I don't want to be I don't want to get anywhere near that gray zone where I'm you know thinking well you know like I used to be a guy who stood for this and that, but uh, you know this is a lot of money I could make. You know, maybe I could just kind of bend it a little bit. Like, I, I'm I'm too much of an absolutist to do that. So I I do think that if anybody is going to moralize, um, you know, like like I have or you know, and you have, you have to you have to walk the walk because people will remind you, you know, laughingly if you break that code. Yeah, and they should. You know, that's 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 why I do it the way that I do it. I mean, I want to be told I'm wrong. I want to be told that. I'm being inconsistent. I want, I want to hold myself to account on those things. And if I can, what I'm really doing is reiterating the process, the principles of transparency, accountability, and trust. These are the kinds of things that it sounds like. I mean, you and I have a lot more in common than not that I was looking for things in common, but uh, us screwed up Gen X guys are you know, set up to kind of have that anyway. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's an interesting thing. And, and you know, just to kind of wrap up here, I, I just want to thank you for that because you, could, you absolutely could have done, done it that way, Carson. You could have become a monkey on CNBC and made your fun 10 times bigger by being ridiculous. And, and you didn't. You just didn't. Uh, and, and I think that that's, uh, that's impressive. I mean, there are a lot of people out there in the world that I'm sure you know, if they could just eliminate that kind of like uh, negative uh, intonation that they have when they hear short selling and they just saw that, I think that um, you probably do have more fans as of, as of this conversation. So, so thanks, thanks for having it, man. Okay, well, I, but I'm sure I've had more middle fingers directed toward the screen as well. So, <laughs> well, I didn't um, give you one. You know, you, hey, if you want to get some more, by the way, probably a five to one ratio of middle fingers to fans. But uh, you know, if, but I'll if, take it. If you want to, if you want to up that ratio to like five million to one, like you know, haters with just why don't you write uh, Bitcoin as a fraud? Why don't you try that on Twitter and see what happens? <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, fair enough. I, I said I sold it. I mean, that was it for me. Uh, thanks, thanks, thanks to Carson Block, and I'm going to buy it back. You know, that's the whole thing about shorts is that that you can cover them and then you could sell them again. It's just it's just this great adventure of uh, of truth seeking. So thanks for thanks for listening, and that's it for today. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com.
This content is for informational purposes and does not constitute an offer to sell or buy any investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. Hedgeye believes the information sources to be reliable but is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions. The opinions expressed are those of the individual speaking. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information is protected by copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient provided access by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited and subject to the terms of service at Hedgeye.com.